to the 18th of January edition of Talking Newspaper. I'm Charlotte Wanless and um, editor for this recording and I would just like to say Happy New Year to everybody. Our readers today are Pippa Curtis, Catherine Neal and Evelyn Brock. Um, so let's start as usual. The team are sitting around a central table in the recording studio and we will be reading clockwise. For our new listeners I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves so you can work out where they are sitting and how they sound. So he- hello from me, Charlotte. Hello from me, Pippa. Hello from me, Catherine. Hello from me, Evelyn. Please keep sending us your feedback by whatever means as the team here want to make the recording as pleasurable as possible for you and ourselves. If you know of anyone's birthday, please let us know and we will read them out. As usual, we have headlines, local stories, local sport, selected radio programmes, sunrise and sunset times, obituaries and birthdays. The items follow on and you can stop and start them using the big buttons on your players. You can also hear it on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk, which um, has the magazine and past recordings. If you have any trouble or comments, please contact us by whatever means is convenient. Our phone number is 01905 Please be prepared for an answering machine to take your call. A quick reminder about our Talking Book Library, which is free. It's being constantly updated. I would like to thank all of you who have made donations. They are very much appreciated. The main headlines this week are... Fears over kids playing chicken, expanding St Richard's Hospice, driver almost ran down, stop cyclists on pavements, report hospital care is getting better, masked masked thieves threatening boss. So um, Pippa, would you like to start the main headline stories? So this is the headline for Friday, January the 12th. Fears over kids playing chicken. Police have issued a warning after numerous reports of children lying in the middle of the road in dangerous games of chicken. Teenagers and younger children have been seen lying in roads at a number of locations in Worcester, residents say. There have been a number of reports of the dangerous game on social media. Following this, West Mercia Police's Inspector Chris Percival has warned children and their parents that they are posing a grave danger to themselves and others. Children need to understand the dangers of engaging in this kind of behaviour and that they are posing a danger not only to themselves but to motorists and the rest of the public, he said. Parents also need to be responsible for their children's behaviour. I want to urge anybody that does see this kind of activity to report it to their local Safer Neighbourhood team immediately especially if it is becoming an urgent or frequent issue. One resident reported seeing three teenage boys lying in the middle of Windermere Drive in Warnden. They said another teenager, dressed in dark clothing, was dancing in the road 
and forcing cars to make emergency stops to avoid hitting him. They said that the group was swearing and shouting at security guards and riding their bikes through the Tesco supermarket foyer. The teenagers were also riding around the car park and only narrowly avoiding a number of parked cars. Another witness to teens playing chicken said it was an accident waiting to happen and that teenagers regularly lie in the middle of Bilford Road near to Tudor Grange Academy and in Blackpool Road near McDonald's. They added that the trouble had peaked over the summer holiday and began to decline, only to return again recently. A spokesman for Tesco said they could not comment on recent reports as they had not been made aware of any incidences by the police or security staff. However, they did highlight their ongoing communication with the police regarding antisocial behaviour inside the supermarket and in the surrounding area. This is the main story for Saturday, January the 13th. Um, and the title is Expanding! Exclamation mark. There's a picture on the front page of a very large group of people waving at the camera um, at the sod-cutting ceremony at St Richard's Hospice, Worcester, to launch the Build 2020 appeal to build new extensions at the hospice. The hospice has launched an appeal to raise £1.4 million for a major expansion, with space running out as more and more patients need treatment and support. St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 Appeal asks the community to help raise the final £1.4 million um, to, book, to create a bigger building at its home in Wildwood Drive, Worcester. Patients, volunteers and staff cheered yesterday as they dug the first turf at the hospice site to mark the start of the building work. With a total of £5.3 million needed for the expansion and redevelopment plans, the hospice has already got off to a flying start with the windfall of a £2 million gift in the will of a supporter, along with pledges from trusts and grant-making foundations. Now, backed by the evening news, the hospice is urging generous Worcestershire residents to donate to help raise the final £1.4 million. The chief executive, June Patel, said... Currently, areas of our hospice building in Worcester are bursting at the seams and we're struggling to respond to the ever-increasing number of patients. Demand for our care is set to rise sharply with our ageing population and people living longer with multiple illnesses such as heart failure, Parkinson's and motor neurone disease, as well as cancer. She added, Our vision is for a bigger hospice where we will be able to support people from the point they're diagnosed improving their quality of life and offering support to their loved ones. The redeveloped and extended building will include larger rooms suitable for exercise-based groups, for example, adapted Tai Chi and yoga, a specialist exercise studio with programmes designed by physiotherapists. Therapists will help patients learn how to improve day-to-day -day living at home to encourage independence. Counselling rooms for supporting more patients and loved ones. An open art studio for patients and loved ones to express feelings through creativity. Music and horticultural therapy rooms where patients and families can benefit from that. Complementary therapy rooms for treatments including reflexology and aromatherapy massage. 
a spacious, a spacious social and eating area at the heart of the hospice building. And the reception area will be reconfigured to be a light space where visitors will be greeted with a, a warm and understanding personal welcome. The charity currently supports more than 3,000 people a year and anticipates that the bigger hospice will enable the hospice team to care and support up to 4,000 individuals by 2021-22. All the new and expanded services will run alongside St Richard's current wide range of patient and family care, including support in people's own homes and 17 inpatient beds. The, direct, the fundraising director, Tricia Cavell, said, We rely on the generosity of the Worcestershire community and have done through the whole history of St Richard's. At the moment, we have supporters who do lots of amazing things for St Richard's, for example, from holding a coffee morning or jumping out of a plane. And for the Build 2020 appeal, we're asking people to do that one more thing to help us again, so that together we can build this wonderful, bigger St Richard's hospice. It is an independent charity and relies on donations for three quarters of its annual £8.4 million income, with the remainder from the NHS. Now the headline article from Monday, January the 15th. Driver almost ran down hero officer. A brave police officer, armed with just a baton, tried to stop a dangerous driver who nearly ran him over. Daniel Fenn, then an acting sergeant with West Mercia Police, stood his ground as he tried to apprehend a suspect, blocking a Worcester road with his car and himself, holding out his baton and shouting, Stop Police! Instead, Omar Ali drove towards him, missed him by just a metre, and rammed his Renault Megane into the officer's police car during the incident in the Hill Avenue, Worcester. The 25-year-old admitted dangerous driving when he appeared before recorder Anthony Warner at Worcester Crown Court on Friday following the incident on October the 2nd, 2015. Charles Hamer, prosecuting, said Sergeant Fenn was on duty in plain clothes in an unmarked car when he received a radio mes message that a Renault Megane contained a person of interest to police. Sergeant Fenn was driving along London Road, Worcester, at around 2.45pm with the intention of stopping and speaking to the driver when he saw the suspect in the McGann turn right into Battenhall Road and followed him. Ali was driving and another male was in the passenger seat, the court heard. The McGann then turned into St Dunstan's Crescent and from there into the Hill Avenue, where Ali performed a three-point U-turn so the officer's car and Ali's were facing each other. Mr Hamer said, Acting Sergeant Fenn manoeuvred his vehicle so that it was at an angle in the road to narrow the aperture for the Renault Megane to prevent it making its way past the police vehicle and out onto the London road, thereby escaping. Sergeant Fenn got out of his car with the intention of taking Ali's keys to prevent him leaving the area when he heard the engine revving loudly. The officer extended his baton to further narrow the gap and shouted, Stop, police, Mr Hamer told the court. 
The McGann was described by Sergeant Fenn as reversing for 40 metres at a speed of around 30 miles per hour and with no real control and swerving from side to side, narrowly missing parked vehicles. Mr Hamer said the danger would have been if any other vehicle had been coming in the opposite direction. Ali drove the Megan towards the officer at an estimated speed of between 30 to 40 miles per hour. Sergeant Fenn moved out of the way, but Judge the Megan was about a metre away when it passed. The Megan struck the unmarked car and caused its open door to slam shut before Ali turned back into St Dunstan's Crescent and made off. It was not the first time the officer has shown courage in the line of duty. When he was a police constable, he was commended after saving the life of a man who tried to drown himself in the River Severn on December the 30th, 2009. Ali was arrested on October the 13th, 2015 and made a no-comment interview to police. Hamer said Ali had three previous convictions for five offences and was not heavily convicted. Ali has convictions for shoplifting, going equipped and conveying an article into prison. Recorder Anthony Warner said, Dangerous driving is a serious offence. On this occasion, you put the safety of a police officer potentially at risk and you damaged a police car. But he agreed that it was not the worst dangerous driving and that Ali had been in no further trouble since the incident. He sentenced him to 16 months in prison, suspended for two years, 150 hours of unpaid work, banned him from driving for 18 months and ordered him to complete an extended driving retest. Uh, the headline for Tuesday, January the 16th, Stop Cyclists on Pavements. Pensioners plea before someone is killed. A pensioner has called for a crackdown on cyclists riding on pavements before someone gets killed after he saw a cyclist fall into the road and almost get run over by a car. Barry Dunmore, 71, pictured in the article, was walking along the pavement on Bridge Street, Worcester, with his wife, Rosalind, at noon on January the 5th when a female cyclist attempted to manoeuvre a group of pedestrians behind the couple. It is illegal to ride a cycle on the pavement unless it has been de it has a dilatinated oh I don't think I've said that right <laughs> delineated. <laughs> delineated and um, designated cycle lane she passed the people behind us and fell off into the road she fell into the side of the moving car and knocked off the wing mirror said Mr Dunmore who lives in St John's area she got back on the pavement and had hurt her hip but she got no sympathy from anyone we all said she shouldn't have been on the pavement. He said the cyclist, who he believed was in her 20s, said she had right-of-way on the pavement and that the pedestrians were in the wrong. He said the driver of the car also pulled up and got out to the confront the cyclist. They were arguing and she said she had rang her bell, said Mr Dunmore. She seemed to feel she had a, uh, a given right to be on the pavement. If it had been a lorry, she had been killed. If it was a couple of seconds either way, she could have been under the car. Mr Dunmore said he regularly walks along Bridge Street into the city centre, often encountering cyclists weaving in and out of pedestrians on the pavements, despite the act being against the law. 
that pavement on Bridge Street is very narrow and if they come behind you and move slightly, you or them could end up in the road. I have been saying for months that something will happen there and that someone will get killed, he said. Following the incident, Mr and Mrs Dunmore then continued down the road when the cyclist rode into the back of them while using her mobile phone. We left them to it and carried on walking down the road and past the cricket ground and were waiting at the crossing at Bromwich Road about five minutes later when she rode into him. He explained, when she went into the back of me, she said, Will you stop following me? The 1835 <laughs> Highways Act states that it is an offence to willfully ride on a footpath by the side of a road in England and Wales. However, levels of enforcement of the law appears to be more at the discretion of each um, constable. The law is reflected in the Highway Code, which prohibits cycling on the pavement rule 64. You must not cycle on a pavement. Mr Dunmore said he felt the police need to monitor that road more closely to ensure cyclists understand the law or clear um, signage needs to be in place. It needs something done before someone gets killed there, he added. A spokeswoman for the Safer Roads Partnership said, We work very closely with our local police officers on various issues around cyclists and pedestrian safety. She said there are a number of cycle safety stations across Worcester over the winter months, focusing on early morning and evening commute times, which focus on visibility issues. She added, Regarding the issue of cyclists riding on pavements, unless there is a designated shared space which will be indicated by signs or markings on the pavement, this is an offence and can also be dangerous to other users. So <clears throat> here is the headline for Wednesday, January the 17th. Report. Hospital care is getting better, but inspectors demand further improvements. Inspectors say that hospital care in Worcester is getting better, but drastic improvements are still needed. A new Care Quality Commission, CQC, report said that Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Trust had made progress after being placed in special measures because the service had reached crisis level, but inspectors demanded more improvements. Trust Chief Executive Michelle Mackay said members wanted improvement as fast as possible. The Trust, which runs Worcestershire Royal as well as Redditch's Alexandra and Kidderminster Hospitals, was first placed into special measures in December 2015. Last February, a Section 29A warning notice issued by the CQC told the Trust to get its house in order or face further action. Further inspections have been held since then and the latest CQC report has been released today following a November review during which inspectors visited emergency care at the Worcester and Redditch hospitals. The CQC has not changed its overall inadequate rating of the trust, but areas of improvement were found. Urgent and emergency care services at the hospitals have been upgraded to a requires improvement rating on whether they are safe, while medical care at the Alexandra was raised from inadequate to requires improvement. The rating for whether urgent and emergency services are effective at Worcestershire Royal Hospital also improved to good from requires improvement. CQC's Chief Inspector of Hospitals, Professor Ted Baker, said, 
While the improvements haven't resulted in a change to the Trust's overall rating of inadequate, and the Trust remains in special measures, it demonstrates that the Trust is working to improve services for its patients. Further improvements are still needed, and we will continue to monitor the Trust closely. This will include further inspections. And this is the headline for Thursday, January the 18th. Masked thieves threaten boss. Uh, there's a photograph uh, which provides uh, a very uh, alarming image from CCTV footage. Masked thieves threatened a shop owner before stealing almost £1,000 and several bottles of vodka in a late-night raid on a city convenience store. CCTV footage, which the photograph, as I've described, shows, shows the two men entering Premier Elbury convenience shop on the corner of Tolladyne Road and Elbury Park Road, Worcester, at 8.58pm on Tuesday, that is the 16th of January. Store owner Apan Thizukumar was counting his money minutes before he was due to lock up for the night when the thieves entered. One ran around the counter, taking bundles of money, while the other grabbed bottles of vodka from directly behind the till before they fled on foot towards Elbury Park Road. Mr Thizukumar, who has owned the shop for 14 months, said that the day before, a couple of people had come in just before closing, asking to use the toilet, which he refused. And a friend of Mr Thizukumar, who did not wish to be named, said a couple of weeks ago, two people had also come in and asked what time they shut and when the money is counted. This latest raid was the sixth time the shop has been targeted by thieves in 14 months, Mr Thizukumar said. In the latest offence, the first suspect is described as being of medium build and around 5 foot 8 inches in height. He was wearing a blue hooded top with shiny material, light grey jogging bottoms, black trainers with white soles and wearing gloves. The second suspect is described as wearing all black clothing, black hooded top and gloves. PC Nick Gibson of West Mercia Police said, Nobody was injured in the robbery, but this will have been understandably very upsetting for the staff and customers that were present, and we will be offering them support. We would ask anyone who was in the area that saw the incident and has yet to come forward to get in touch by calling us on 101. Now an article from Saturday, January the 13th, and the headline is Liver Surgeon Find. A surgeon who admitted burning his initials onto the livers of two unconscious patients during transplant operations has been hit with a £10,000 fine. Simon Bramhall of Redditch was also sentenced to a 12-month community order at Birmingham Crown Court for the offences. But Worcester antiques dealer Jeff Hughes, who had two liver section operations carried out by Dr Bramhall at Queen Elizabeth Hospital Birmingham in 2010 and 2011, said the case against the surgeon should have been thrown out. Bramhall boasted to a colleague, this is what I do, as he burned his initials onto an unconscious patient's newly transplanted liver, prosecutors said. The Crown Prosecution Service, CPS, said he used a medical instrument called an argon beam coagulator, 
which seals bleeding blood vessels by directing a beam of electricity onto the area to inscribe two patients' livers as they were under general anaesthetic. The 53-year-old's actions were discovered when a botched operation meant one of his patients had to have more surgery a week later, leading a different surgeon to spot the initials. Judge Paul Farrer QC said, I accept that on both occasions you were tired and stressed, and I accept that this may have affected your judgment. This was conduct born of professional arrogance of such magnitude that it strayed into criminal behaviour. What you did was an abuse of power and a betrayal of trust that these patients had invested in you. I accept that you didn't intend or foresee anything but the most trivial of harm would be caused. Bramhall was ordered to carry out 120 hours of unpaid work. Bramhall admitted two counts of assault by beating, by beating at Birmingham Crown Court in December after denying the more serious charge of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Frank Ferguson, head of special crime at the CPS, said Bramhall was a very respected surgeon to whom many patients owed their lives. Speaking on the fine and community order, Mr Hughes said he should never have been fined. I think it should have been thrown out. I know £10,000 is not much to him and I am sure he, Bramhall, is relieved it is over. But it should never have gone to court. It should have been dealt with in-house. Uh, food waste going to good causes. This is... Um Green Matters Worcester Food Rescue. Every year in the UK, 80 million tonnes of food end up in landfill with an annual value of 23 billion. This cost is rising rapidly due to soaring prices. This causes massive environmental damage and landfill costs to dispose of it all. Knowing that there are many people, groups and families on low incomes or homeless who are unable who are unable to afford healthy foods living in food poverty, Transition Worcester recognised the problem and decided to start Worcester Food Rescue. Worcester Food Rescue collects surplus food from two Worcester supermarkets and Pret-a-Manger and distributes it to local charities, thus reducing waste, food and helping local charities in their daily operations. Since the start in April 2017, um, they have collected and distributed more than 17,500 worth of su surplus food in Worcester alone. Locally, they support Acorns Children's Hospice, St Richard's Hospice, the YMCA and St Paul's Hostel. However, they are looking for more recipients to help. This initiative follows in the footsteps of the successful Felix project in London and Bristol. Sim similar initiatives are happening all over the country so they can try to stop the wastage of food. This is an article about bin changes that are on the way. Worcester residents are being urged to read important letters they should have received about bin collection changes. Letters have been sent out by Worcester City Council and residents are asked to read them and take note of the changes on when black and green bins are emptied. The changes come into force from Monday, January the 29th. From that date, recycling and refuse collections will still take place on alternate weeks, as is currently the case, 
for the Waste Collection Day will change for some residents. The City Council has split bin collections into city zones, with black and green bin collections taking place in different parts of the city during the same week. Currently, all black bins are collected across the whole city in a single week, and all green bins are emptied the following week. Around half of city households will see no change to current arrangements. Chairman of the Authority's Environment Committee, Councillor Joy Squires, said, The letter will tell you important information about whether there are changes to your bin collections. You might need to put your bin out on a different day, or your green bin collection might be a week later than usual. So this letter really matters. Councillor Alan Feeney, Vice-Chairman of the Environment Committee, added, I want to reassure people we never make changes to your routines lightly, but we know that this will bring huge benefits to the city. Residents are reminded bins or sacks should be placed out by 7am on the day of collections. The letter includes a calendar of collection dates and also explains how they can look up their collection date at worcester.gov.uk hash, no not hash, what is it, oblique, recycling dash waste. And this is another hospital story um, and it's actually the date, dated Friday, January the 12th. Um, hospital bosses say they have reduced the number of patients on trolleys while the ambulance service enters its second highest alert level during the winter crisis. NHS leaders at Worcester Royal Hospital in Worcester have seen a record increase in the volume of seriously ill patients over Christmas with a spike at New Year. The Acute Trust, which manages the hospital, announced they would no longer care for emergency patients routinely on trolleys in A&E from December the 1st last year, although an exception would be made if 10 or more ambulances arrived within an hour. Despite the increase in patient numbers, the Trust says they have reduced the number of patients being cared for on trolleys in A&E. However, they have yet to release data to substantiate this claim to the Worcester News. The service is at Resource Escalation Action Plans Level 3 and the Ambulance Trust said more than 900 patients have had to wait more than an hour with delays costing them the equivalent of 23 12-hour shifts every day. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust said We've seen a year-on-year increase in people coming through our emergency departments and with higher than expected numbers of seriously ill patients arriving by ambulance every day throughout the holiday period, we experience periods of considerable pressure. Despite this, fewer patients are having to endure long waits to be admitted to a ward and we've also been able to significantly reduce our use of the emergency department corridor compared to the same period of time last year. We would again appeal to local people to think carefully about alternatives to A&E, including the county's minor injuries units, if they need urgent care. Actions taken include recruiting extra medical staff, opening additional beds, opening a dedicated frailty unit, expanding our ambulatory emergency care unit on our Worcester site, and a planned reduction in elective activity. Additional winter schemes, including the opening of Worcestershire Step Down Unit 
and the launch of the British Red Cross Assisted Discharge Service began this week with the aim of further helping to improve patient flow through our hospitals. And now an article from Saturday, January the 13th, which follows on from what you've just heard about volunteers taking patients home. Volunteers are helping to relieve pressure on the city's hospital by driving patients back to their homes. Members of the British Red Cross Assisted Discharge Service even use their own vehicles to take patients home from Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The team can take three people out of the hospital every day, which helps cut waiting times for other patients who need a bed. The new scheme started on Tuesday, January the 2nd, and will run until the end of March. The volunteers settle patients back into their homes, undertake safety checks of properties, collect medicine, prepare meals, go shopping and provide companionship. They are also able to signpost people to other agencies and relevant support. Another effect of the service is that it helps some to regain their confidence and independence through returning home and meeting up with friends and neighbours. Patients also received a follow-up call or to a visit 24 hours after they have been discharged from the hospital. A spokesman for the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust previously said, Throughout Christmas and the New Year period, we have seen and continue to see very high levels of demand. Additional winter schemes, including the opening of Worcestershire's step-down unit and the launch of the British Red Cross Assisted Discharge Service, began last week, with the aim of further helping to improve patient flow through our hospitals. We have seen a year-on-year -year increase in people coming through our emergency departments and with higher than expected numbers of seriously ill patients arriving by ambulance every day throughout the holiday period, we have experienced periods of considerable pressure. We have a countrywide winter plan which has been drawn up with our local NHS partners and the County Council and that is helping us to care for record numbers of patients in need of urgent medical attention. The discharge service is available from Monday to Friday 10am to 6pm. Festival raises cash for carers charity. A popular city music festival has announced its chosen charity for 2018. Worcester Music Festival, which takes place across the city in September, will this year raise money for the Worcestershire Association of Carers. The festival, which sees more than 250 performances across the weekend, supports a different local charity each year. Carol Cumuno, CAO of Worcestershire Association of Carers, said, We are absolutely delighted to be Worcester's Music Festival's charity of the year. It is a fantastic local event that we are looking forward to being involved with as community support is so important to us. We hope to use some of the money raised to start our own carers' choir as we know how important and uplifting music can be in people's lives. 2018 is Worcestershire Association of Carers' 20th anniversary year, so this is a wonderful way to start and we are so grateful for the support. The charity provides an independent source of information, advice and support for unpaid carers who dedicate their time to caring for their loved ones. They have launched Carers Unlimited, a project which helps organise respite for carers and has so far included breakfasts and trips to sporting matches. 
The money raised will help to continue these events as well as help launch a carer's choir. Nicola Boriston, the festival's charity coordinator, said it's important for the festival to support worthy causes and Worcestershire Association of Carers is definitely one we're passionate about. In the past, we've supported Worcestershire young carers, so we're looking forward to continuing our support for the caring community. Um, this is an article about hills, hills, sheep getting away on the hills in Malvern. Hills, sheep escape as fence downed. A flock of sheep on the Malvern Hills was released from its enclosure after the fence was knocked down, probably by mountain bikers. The incident was discovered on Friday morning by one of the graziers on the hills just south of British camp. The fence had been knocked down in three places and the sheep had vanished. Although the grazier later recovered the sheep unharmed, the Malvern Hills Trust is urging users of the hills to respect the fenced-off areas. Beck Baker of the Trust said, Two sections of fence were broken, thought to be by mountain bikers using trails down the slopes of the hill. As there are no bridleways in this section, there were no gates installed for access, so the riders are likely to have gone straight through the fence. We can't be 100% sure, but the evidence strongly indicates that mountain bikes are responsible for the damage. In another section, the fence was broken, where it is thought the sheep had been pushed through the fence, probably after being chased by a dog out of control. In the morning fog, the sheep were difficult to find and put back on the hill. The grazing of the hills is part of our efforts to preserve the landscape of the hills and the ancient monument of British camp. Thank you to all those who are responsible when visiting the hills and commons. Let's help keep this shared landscape a special place that we can all enjoy. Hills users can check where stock is being grazed on the Malvern Hills Trust website and in the Malvern Gazette each week. The headline for this story is Friends Delight as Bishop Weds. The Bishop of Worcester remarried in front of close friends and family last Friday. The Bishop, the Right Reverend Dr John Inger, married H.J. Colston at St Catherine's Church in Holt near Bath on Friday. The pair were engaged last October but have known each other for 20 years. At the ceremony was the Bishop of Dudley, the Right Reverend Graham Usher, who said, It was wonderful and a sheer delight to share in Bishop John and H.J.'s wedding with its rich theme of the love that has been kindled between them, mirroring something of the love of God in Jesus. Family and friends of Bishop John were overjoyed that after the death of his first wife, Denise, he has, he has found love and joy again. We previously reported how Denise Inger lost her battle with cancer on Easter Day in April 2014, aged just 51 and leaving behind two children. Her funeral was held at Worcester Cathedral in May 2014. When the bishop's engagement to H.J. was announced, he said, to have found love again is a most wonderful thing and I feel immensely blessed. The bishop has two daughters, Eleanor and Olivia, while H.J. has two sons, Luke and Toby. A statement released by the Diocese of Worcester said she will now live between Worcester and Bradford-on-Avon, where her boys are at school, with her elder son currently in his GCSE year.
Now two brief articles. The first one from Friday, January the 12th, about Brew Away Blues. The third Monday in January is the Blue Monday, but charity the Samaritans have rebranded it Brew Monday and are urging everyone to get together over a cup of tea or coffee. In Worcester, they have teamed up with Café Bliss in Sansom Street for an event between 11am and 2pm on that Monday. And an up update on that, it did take place and was a successful event. Between 7.30 and 9 on a very cold and damp Monday morning, Samaritans were handing out tea bags and ticket holders at Worcester Station and other stations around Worcestershire itself. Um, there was a lot of interest. Uh, everything was received with very good-natured responses and it was hoped that tea will, would be brewed and talking and human support shared. Now the second article is entitled Dog Business Grows. A dog care business has expanded after receiving a grant from Worcester City Council. Dawn Innet set up the dog house in 2006 and recently received a £2,281 business growth grant from the City Council which she match funded from the company's own reserves. Dawn has spent over 35 years living and working with dogs and successfully turned her passion into a business, offering grooming, daycare and a shop selling dog food and gifts, as well as canine massage and a laundrette. In autumn, the dog house moved from Fernhill Heath to larger premises at 86H Blackpole West Trading Estate, Blackpole, Worcester. The City Council grant paid for grooming equipment and dryers, allowing more than one dog to be treated at the same time. The business now employs one full-time and five part-time employees. Dawn said, the kind of services clients are looking for has changed greatly over the last decade. Customers are more discerning about the level of care their dogs receive and want a knowledgeable, trustworthy business to look after their canine family members. She has just opened a new dog daycare centre, offering a 700 square foot space where owners can leave their dog in individual lounges. Owners can buy spa treatments for their dogs too. It also boasts a new room for dog training sessions and a laundrette adapted to wash bedding. The City Council awarded £24,500 worth of grants to businesses in 2017. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Chair of the Place and Economic Development Subcommittee at the Council said, Small businesses are the lifeblood of Worcester's economy and the City Council is proud to support them through its grants programme. If you're considering setting up your own business in 2018 or are looking to expand an existing business, then please do get in touch with us to find out what support we could offer. See worcester.gov.uk oblique business or call 01905 722 106. Um, reply for rare meadows. A rare meadow near Upton is close to being saved thanks to generous individuals. National lottery players and a number of funders 
Worcestershire Wildlife Trust, the country's largest conservation charity, launched a fundraising appeal in the summer of this year to save 50 acres of rare floodplain meadows at Eldersfield. Now the trust has been awarded um, 197,000 from the Heritage Lottery Fund towards the purchase of Hardwick Green Meadows. Together with donations from individuals following the appeal, gifts left and wills to the trust, a donation of 50,000 from Seven Waste Services and a generous support from a number of charitable trusts, the trust is nearing its target to purchase the fields. The fields are currently owned by the Esme Fairbarn Foundation, which agreed to buy them on a short-term basis to give the trust time to raise the necessary funds to buy them. Mike Perry, head of resources for the trust, said, This is fantastic news. We've been overwhelmed by the response from our public appeal and would like to say a big thank you to everyone who has helped and supported us to buy these beautiful meadows so far. From spring and throughout summer, the meadows are teeming with wildflowers, butterflies, bees and birds. Hares have been spotted there and we've even got footage of an otter using the brook that runs through the site. Hardwick Green Meadows are also a rare remnant of a once, more, once much more common habitat. In fact, there are only 3,500 acres of these meadows left in the whole of the UK. That's about the size of Heathrow Airport. Vanessa Harbour of the Heritage Lottery Fund said, We are delighted to support this project, which thanks to the money raised by National Lottery players, we mean that more people will be able to get involved with, protect and learn about the exciting heritage right on their doorstep. This sounds rather fun and the headline is Battersea Dogs Look Alike Fun. Dogs are often said to look like their owners and a firm is now appealing for people who look like some of the famous Battersea Dogs home residents to come forward and offer them a permanent home. My Name Tags a manufacturer of name tags for labelling clothes, stationery, fabric and shoes, has launched a nationwide appeal to find the human look-alikes of Battersea's loneliest but lovable pets. People across the county are being encouraged to share images of their friends bearing a resemblance to seven canines at the home. The company is hoping to spread the word about the very special residents and encourage animal lovers around the UK to have some fun and get involved by the My Name Tags social media channels. People are invited to participate by tagging a friend on the dedicated Facebook, Twitter or Instagram galleries for the chance to be featured on the My, My Name Tags social pages. Lars B. Anderson, Managing Director at My Name Tags, said... Following the success of our Doggy Doubles campaign, which saw the creation of a huge gallery of pet lookalikes earlier this year, we're thrilled to be working closely with Battersea Dogs and Cats Home again. It's a common belief that pets can look like their owners, so what better way to find these long-standing residents a home than by launching a nationwide search for their human lookalikes? We are a nation of pet lovers, and as it's such a good cause, we're confident that the public will really get behind this fun campaign and produce some fantastic lookalike photos. The campaign will run until Thursday, January the 25th and hopes to find some of Battersea's loneliest residents a new home. Battersea Dogs and Cats Homes Centre Manager Robert Young said, We're thrilled to be working with My Name Tags on this fun initiative and we hope it will help the dogs in our care to find a home. 
Some of our dogs, like Eddie, Serena and Diesel, have been with us for over 100 days and this is a way to help spread the word about all the love they have to offer. More information and photos of the dogs can be found by visiting mynametags.com hash Battersea slash dogs and Battersea is with a capital B. Anyone who thinks they're a dead ringer for any of the canines should send a photo to doggydouble at energypr.co.uk and that's all lowercase doggydouble at energypr.co.uk This story has the title Up for the Challenge. A stonemason was up for the challenge of going to a great height to carry out repairs at Worcester Cathedral. Although the cathedral has a dedicated team of talented stonemasons to carry out the task all year round, specialists were needed for the latest job. Heritage Stone Access staff have been working outside the cathedral to take down a damaged pinnacle at the northwest end, and Richard Martin was the stonemason who scaled a great height for the job. The pinnacle, which was installed in Victorian times, was damaged from a possible lightning strike and natural weathering. Cathedral stonemason Emily Draper, who's acting team leader, said, As part of our current programme of repair and conservation to the Great West Window, it became apparent that we needed to remove and repair the very top section of the northwest pinnacle. From the vantage point of the scaffold, we could see that the top stones of the pinnacle needed some attention. Due to the specialist nature of the access requirements to reach the stonework, we've brought in Heritage Stone Access, who are extremely experienced with work of this nature, to assess, safely remove and replace new stonework to the areas which have failed. Richard, who carried out the high-level work, was a former apprentice at Worcester Cathedral. He said, Carrying out specialist work like this stems from the experience I've had at working not only here, but at other cathedrals across the country. I feel really positive about the end result, and being involved in the whole process of the job, from initial inspection and providing a defect report, to removal, working the stone, refixing and the conservation project on the rest of the pinnacle. The Heritage Stone Access Team will return within the next couple of months to install four large new carved stone sections within the pinnacle. Emily, the acting team leader, said, Having been invited to go up in the crane basket to see the work, it was a privilege to see such a wonderful view of our beautiful cathedral and the intricate Victorian stonework. Of the pinnacle. Now an article from Monday, January the 15th, headlined, Dad hit with £900 fine over toys. A father has been fined £900 for leaving his children's toys in a communal garden outside his home. Ben Keitch, aged 24, said he feels victimised by West Mercia Holmes, who took him to court last week over the dispute at Linkmel Court, Worcester. The father of three said he is sleeping on a mattress on his living room floor and can only afford to pay the fine off at a rate of £3.70 per week. But West Mercia Holmes said Mr Kite had breached his tenancy conditions and that it had taken court action as a last resort. Mr Kite said, they said they, 
the toys were a fire hazard. They started sending me the letters this summer saying all personal belongings must be removed from the communal gardens. I refused to do anything about it. I thought, this is a joke. We had a kid's table, chairs and a little wooden swing. I cleared the garden before I had to go to court. I phoned Nexus Housing, now West Mercia Homes, and said, I've got rid of all the rubbish, do I still have to come to court? They said yes. We are on benefits. I fell out of a tree a couple of years ago and ruined my back. I'm on job seekers allowance. They just took me off employment and support allowance. My girlfriend is a full-time mum. I don't have the means to contest it, the fine. Mr Keitch added that he lives in a two-bedroom flat with his two sons, aged one and four, his daughter, two, and his girlfriend. He said his son and daughter each have their own bedroom, which means he sleeps on a mattress in the living room with his partner and his youngest son. I don't think it's healthy the way we are living, he said. We have got no choice. Now we have got this £900 debt, I don't think they will let me move. Mr Kite said he received the fine at Worcester County Court on Monday, January the 8th and is slowly paying it off with small weekly instalments. That's all I can afford, he said. He first moved into the terraced property in 2013 and said the problem started after he put up a three-foot picket fence in the garden around two years ago. Mr Kitch fitted the fence in response to neighbours moving in with dogs. He then started to leave his children's toys on the ground, including a few toy vehicles and a roll-up swimming pool, although he said he always brought them in at night. Now that he has removed the toys and fencing, Mr Kitch refuses to let his children use the garden. He said, they stand at the back window now saying, can we go outside today? I say no. There's so much dog mess around. A spokesman for West Mercia Homes said, As a social landlord, we have a responsibility to our customers to ensure our communal areas are safe and we see court action as a last resort. We had been working with Mr Kitch to resolve this issue, which was a breach of his tenancy conditions, since July 2016 and only began legal action in November 2017. Throughout this process, we kept Mr Kitch informed of the steps we were taking and that we would seek to recover our costs, which the court set at £900. We are pleased to say that we have agreed an affordable repayment plan with Mr Kitch to reduce the financial burden on his family. And the article ends, Have you had a similar problem? Email md at worcesternews.co.uk Thank you. Um, and now we will have the sport, Pippa. I'm going to start off with an article about cricket. Double deal at County. Kevin Sharp replaces Steve Rhodes as new head coach and former pace ace appointed bowling coach. Worcestershire have recruited their new head coach from within with the appointment of Kevin Sharp, while old favourite Alan Richardson has returned to the club. Ex-Yorkshire player Sharp, 58, will next week step up from his joint role as second 11 batting coach at Blackfinch New Road after four years in the post, but admitted his promotion was unexpected. 
The county decided to go with continuity as they seek to build on their success from recent years under departed, long-serving director of cricket Steve Rhodes with a young but maturing group. Former pace ace Richardson, who starred in the twilight years of his career at Worcestershire, has joined his bowling coach, which was a role he previously held with Warwickshire. Previous fast bowling and assistant coach Matt Mason now has responsibility for the second eleven, as well as outreach programmes involving young player and coach development. Worcestershire are preparing for their return to Specsavers County Championship Division 1 cricket after promotion as champions last year under skipper Joe Leach. Sharp said, I am honoured and privileged that the club think of me in this way in awarding me this position. It was unexpected, but I will do all I can to help Worcestershire be successful. I enjoy working here and have a fantastic relationship with the lads, the support staff and all the staff. One of my strengths is communicating and connecting with people. I spoke to Joe, captain, and he's very happy and assures me all the lads are right behind me. England test captain Joe Root worked closely with Sharp during his formative years with Yorkshire and has often credited him as being a huge influence on his career. Worcestershire vice chairman Tim Curtis has led the working group, striving to appoint a head coach. The former county opening batsman said... We're delighted to have a coaching team led by Kevin, which will continue with and build on the values that have brought the club its recent successes. Uh, the next story is, is one about Worcester Warriors, and uh, its, its heading is Spencer Happy to Stay, Warriors Star in Talks Over Future. Locke, Will Spencer, insists he's extremely happy at Worcester Warriors as he begins talk talks with director of rugby Alan Solomons over his future. The powerful forwards contract is due to expire at the end of the season and he's now free to speak to other interested clubs. Leicester Tigers have been heavily linked with a move for Spencer who revealed there were offers out there for him to consider. But the 25-year-old was keen to stress how content he is at Warriors, insisting the six-way side had helped to reignite his career. And he felt they were heading in the right direction, despite languishing in 11th position in the Aviva Premiership. I've started talks briefly with Alan, and we will see what the future holds, Spencer said. I hope to get it sorted within the month, definitely. There are offers out there, but I'm very happy at Worcester. Oxford-born Spencer came through the ranks at Bath, where he played in 11 first-team games. Injuries hampered his chances at the Somerset side, and a back issue delayed his debut for Warriors following his move in the summer of 2016. But since establishing himself in Worcester's starting lineup, Spencer has become a vital cog in the pack, making 27 appearances. Now an article from Thursday, January the 18th. It's headed, Sisters Create History in Table Tennis League. History was made in the Malden Table Tennis League when three sisters competed together for the first time in its 70-year existence. Zoe, 20, Tash, 17, and Thea, Snee, 12, continued a family tradition in the competition. Grandfather Tim played for nearly 30 years until his death in 2014 
and Dad Martin turns out for Manor Park Travellers in Division 1. The girls represented Poolbrook Juniors in Division 3 in a 6-4 loss to Worcester's Ghetto Superstars. Zoe and Tash beat both Phil and Nathan Newport but could not overcome Malcolm Box who earned the win for Superstars by claiming his three singles. He also combined with Nathan Newport to take the deciding doubles against Zoe and Tash in straight sets. The Snee sisters highlight a recent increase in the league, with nine of the 154 players registered to teams being female. Anyone can come along to coaching sessions for a nominal fee at Dyson Perrins Academy, Malvern, on Sunday evenings. Wolves clip wings of Flyers at Arena. Worcester Wolves 91, Bristol Flyers 76. Worcester Wolves secured their 10th win from their last 11 outings as they strolled to a comfortable 91-76 victory over Bristol Flyers at the University of Worcester Arena. Boosted by a sparkling 19-point debut by from the new signing Michael Ojo, Wolves led from start to finish, always having enough in the tank to keep their visitors at bay. Elsie Dusha was another player making a sizable impact on the stat sheet, totalling a career-high 17 assists. By six minutes into the British Basketball League match, he had already laid on a quarter of passes for his teammates to convert before stepping aside for Ojo to, to take to the court. The third period ended with Worcester firmly in control at 74-61, allowing coach Paul James to rotate his troops over the final quarter and coast to the victory. By the final, uh, uh, Bakshinitsky had posted another of his by now traditional double-doubles with 20 points and 13 rebounds. OJ's 19 points were matched by Gil Christ, who has also put forward an intimidating five-block shots. James declared his satisfaction, saying, That was a fine team display. We stayed in control, and I never doubted that we would get the win. Pressed about individual performances, James replied, Even though Michael was still getting his legs back after flying in from California, he still had a great game. He only showed us a glimpse of what he can do. Dallin and Robert dominated inside. Dallin has really improved as this season has gone on, and he's become more aggressive. Dusha is doing what I brought him here to do. He's running the team and being a facilitator. Carrying on with the cricket theme, some round-up stories. Worcestershire paceman Josh Tung is to undergo an operation on the left ankle problem, which ruled him out of the forthcoming England Lions tour of the West Indies. Tung saw a specialist in Cardiff on Wednesday, and it has been decided that keyhole surgery to remove a bone spur at the back of his left ankle is the best option. The 20-year-old will then undergo rehab under the watchful eye of Head of Sports Science and Medicine Ben Davis and strengthening and conditioning coach Ross Dewar. The aim is for Tongue to be bowling off a full run during the pre-season trip to Abu Dhabi in March and hopefully being fit for the county championship opener with Hampshire at the Aegeus Bowl the following month. He aggravated the ankle problem during the pre-Christmas England Lions training camp in Australia after being called into the squad from the ECB PACE programme as a replacement for Essex's Jamie Porter. And one more news item related to cricket. Moeen Ali was England's most economical bowler, 
picked up his 50th one-day international wicket and hit the winning runs as his side overcame Australia by five wickets in the opening clash of the 50-over series in Melbourne. The Worcestershire all-rounder came into the attack after 17 overs with Australia on 93 for three and bowled his 10 overs straight through. The 30-year-old kept the Australians in check and was rewarded in his final over with the wicket of century-maker Aaron Finch. The opener made 107 off 119 balls with three sixes and ten fours, but then went for a big hit on the leg side and holed out to Johnny Bairstow at deep mid-wicket. Moeen finished with figures of 10 for 0, 39 for 1. And another rugby story, um, looking forward to the Six Nations tournament. The headline is, it's double delight, a six-ways duo win call-ups. Head coach Carl Hogg has backed Josh Adams and David Denton to deliver on the biggest stage after the Worcester Warriors, Warriors duo received international call-ups. Adams has been named in Wales' squad for the first time after powering to the top of the try-scoring charts in the Aviva Premiership. And the 22-year-old could go face-to-face -face with David Denton in their Six Nations opener with Scotland on Saturday, the February the 3rd. Denton, who's 27, has won 35 caps for Scotland, but last played for his country in June 2016, when he featured against Japan. Hogg said he was thrilled to see the pair get recognised and felt their consistency for Warriors was key to forcing their way into the reckoning. I'm absolutely delighted for Josh and hopefully he gets a cap and a run in the Six Nations, which would be phenomenal, Hogg said. It's testament to the work done behind the scenes, which has put Josh into a position to be able to fulfil his aspiration. Adams, who joined Warriors from Flanelli Scarlets in 2015, has scored 11 tries in 16 games this season, with nine of them coming in the top flight. I think the Premiership, and ultimately international rugby, is about consistency, Hogg continued. We know how lightning quick he is with ball in hand and how he can beat people for fun, but it is the basic parts of his game that w which he's been able to deliver consistently that have been key. Adam said, I'm naturally immensely excited to be called up to the Wales squad as it's something I've dreamt about since I first started playing rugby. My focus now is on continuing to work hard and learning as much as I can when I join up with the Wales squad next week. Adams and Scarlet's flanker James Davis are the only uncapped players picked by head coach Warren Gatland, whose 39-man squad will convene at the National Centre of Excellence next Monday. It's an exciting opportunity for the two new caps, Gatland said. For Josh, it's a great opportunity, as he's been on great form, and the back three is somewhere we are looking to create depth in. Denton will also be keen to impress in the lead-up to the championships, and Hogg is confident the back rower can win a place in Gregor Townsend's side. The former Edinburgh and Bath forward has overcome an ankle injury at the start of the season to establish himself in Warriors, starting 15, scoring four tries in 13 games. After a slow start with the injury, I think David is getting better with every game he plays, Hogg said. In the last two or three weeks... He's shown a level of intensity and work rate 
that's caught Gregor's eye. As soon as David arrived from Bath in the summer, you could see he was an exceptional athlete. He's got real power and real pace, so it was about getting his confidence and level of consistency back up. He's a seasoned international player, so for him it was about hitting form. He's been able to deliver that at club level, which has been a great benefit for us. If he gets an opportunity in the Six Nations, I'm sure he will grab it. Okay, so now we're going to have the radio programme selected by our team. Um, so Saturday um, the 20th, I've picked um, Dev at 6 o'clock in the morning on BBC Radio 1. And also um, I've picked on BBC Radio 3 um, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, The Sound of the Cinema. Sounds quite interesting. It does. Another early rise um, programme for Sunday the 21st. If you're up and about at 7 o'clock in the morning, BBC Radio 2 has Good Morning Sunday with an easy listening music, spiritually-minded discussion and studio guests with uh, particularly Tim Smith, who's the founder of the Eden Project, and he will discuss his passion for environmental issues. And then there's a very interesting-sounding... Um, what do you call it? <sighs> Lost the word. Radio 4 at Huppers 4, Poetry Please, and it's a, a programme about poetry, so I would recommend that if you're into that. Right. Um, I'm looking at Monday the 22nd, and uh, these are late-night ones, really, on Radio 3. At 10.45 in the evening on Radio 3, there'll be the first of a series of short programmes, uh, 15 minutes, on modern amnesia and different aspects. This is all about different aspects of memory and forgetting. And uh, it sounds very interesting, uh, that suggesting that the modern technological world, world makes forgetfulness part of the daily routine with endless PIN numbers, passwords and supposedly memorable names needed to access data. That will be on every evening ac across the week, every uh, five 15-minute programmes. And immediately after that, on Radio 3 on the 22nd, is a jazz programme, if you like jazz. Um, a concert by Finnish trumpeter um, Veneri Pohjola and his quartet, recorded at the Royal Festival Hall during the 2017 London Jazz Festival. Now two programmes from the 23rd to look forward to. First of all, Classic FM for music lovers, the 8 o'clock Full Works concert, Jane Jones brings music by Brahms, it's an all Brahms con concert, the Academic Festival Overture, a piano intermezzo, the Second Symphony and the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 in B-flat. And then for drama, this interested me, it seems quite novel. Um, it's a play on Radio 4 at 2.15pm and it's called How Success Ruined Me. Writer and performer Christopher Green never ceases to amaze. From Tina C to Ida Barr, his comic creations push boundaries while guaranteeing laughs. He's also a playwright who challenges expectations. His 2011 autobiographical Radio 4 drama, Like an Angel Passing Through My Room, used both the lyrics and a star, Frida, from ABBA, to examine the, the impact of grief in an extraordinary way. And he's done it here again.
This two-hander features Green and Roy Hudd rehearsing, in inverted commas, a play that Christopher has written about Fred Barnes, an outrageous musical star who was the closest thing early 20th century Britain had to a gay icon. The format dispenses with a typical structure of an afternoon drama and the result is funny, smart and intensely moving. Typical green, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would write, says the critic. Um, so for Wednesday um, the 24th, I have picked um, BBC Radio 1 um, in the morning, 6.30, Nick Grimshaw. Um, always seems to make me laugh and smile. And we've got on BBC Radio 2 um, in the evening, um, 8 o'clock, Joe Wiley. Continuing a series of special interviews, Joe talks to inspired choreographer Matthew Bourne, the only British director to have won a Tony Awards for Best Direction of Musical and Best Choreography. Bourne remains best known for his all-male 1995 take on Swan Lake. For Thursday the 25th, if you are a Handel aficionado, there's a concert on Classic FM at 8 o'clock called the Full Works Concert. Two hours, pretty much, of Handel's greatest hits, from things like the arrival of the Queen of Sheba to parts of the um, water music. So I think that sounds a good shout. And Radio 3 at 10 o'clock in the morning... Um, this sounds actually quite hard work. Free thinking exploration, but it'll get those brain cells going. Um, and it's from Ecuador to the Scottish borders. Eleanor Rosamond Barraclough meets Marin Meinhardt and Graham Robb, who explore the land on their doorsteps and also follow in the footsteps of others from Humboldt, the naturalist and explorer, to the forgotten territory of the debatable land, the independent territory that used to exist between Scotland and England. Well, not quite sure what that's about, but I think it could provide some interesting listening. Turning to Friday the 26th now, um, there is the fifth of five programmes that I've already talked about at 10.45 on Radio 3, um, which is all about remembering and forgetting. And this fifth programme, 15-minute programme, um, it examines the role of material objects in man's quest to preserve or conjure the past. Um, what do we keep to remember people or things or experiences? Sounds like a very interesting programme. Um, another choice I've got here is slightly earlier in the evening at 8 o'clock on Radio 2. Friday night is music night and comedian, actor and writer Rainer Hirsch conducts the BBC Concert Orchestra and London Voices in a programme devoted to the less serious side of classical music. And that's a two-hour concert from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed our selection. Um, so the sunrise times at the moment is 7 minutes past 8 and the sunset times are um, 32 minutes past four. And now we will go over to Pepper for the obituaries. So starting with Olga May Evans, passed away on December the 28th, aged 87 years. Funeral service on Monday, January the 29th at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15pm. Margaret Rosemary Jones known as Rose, passed away peacefully at home on January the 1st, aged 81. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 23rd at 2.30pm. 
Margaret Mason passed away on December the 25th. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 22nd at 3.15pm. Blanche Foster, formerly of Beedice Builders Merchants, Lursmore Wharf, passed away peacefully on December the 26th, aged 87. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 22nd at 12.15pm. Yvonne Humphreys, née Robery, passed away January the 5th in Limoges University Hospital, France, after a short illness. Robert Smith, formerly of Berry's News, passed peacefully away January the 10th, funeral to be held on January the 19th at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium. Eunice Limer passed away peacefully on December the 25th, aged 89 years. Funeral service on Tuesday, January the 23rd at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm. Anthony David Ryder, Tony, died on the 22nd of December 2017. The funeral service will be on Friday, January the 26th at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30am. Arnold Nicklin, known as Arnie, passed away suddenly on December the 27th. Funeral service on Thursday, January the 25th at 2.15 at St Peter's Church, Droitwich, followed by a burial at Hadza. Stephen Michael Gold, known as Steve, passed away suddenly but peacefully at home on December the 18th, aged 49 years. A service to celebrate Steve's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 24th at 11.30am. Philip Jones, Phil, passed at his home in Cornwall on December the 24th. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 18th at 12.15pm. Denise Noble, née Brown, died suddenly at East Surrey Hospital on January the 10th, aged 76 years. There will be a private family cremation and a memorial service will be held at a later date. Mary Winifred Wright, passed away peacefully in her sleep on January the 3rd, aged 94 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 30th at 10.45am. Professor Paul David Robinson of Stonewall Hill, pristine, died peacefully at home on December the 30th, aged 78. Service of Thanksgiving at St Andrew's Church, Pristine, on Friday, February the 16th at 12 noon. Chris Sanders passed away on December the 27th, aged 72 years. Funeral service to take place at Hallow Church, followed by an interment in the churchyard, on Tuesday, January the 23rd at 2pm. Muriel Stokes, known as Peggy, passed away peacefully on December the 27th, at St Richard's Hospice, aged 90. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 23rd at 3.15pm. Ken Birch passed away peacefully on January the 5th, aged 94 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 24th at 2.30pm. Jean Margaret Clark, Neganderton, passed away peacefully at home on January the 3rd, aged 80. Funeral service at St John's Church, Worcester, on Thursday, January the 25th, at 1.30pm, 
followed by cremation. Anne D, formerly Trigg, passed away peacefully on January the 3rd, aged 78. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 24th at 1.45pm. Colin Minton of Oldfield Lane, Ombersley, passed away on the, uh, no, sorry, the funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 25th at 11.30am. Hazel Thorpe of Worcester passed away peacefully on December the 31st, aged 91 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 22nd at 1.45pm. Stephen Mark Willis died on December the 15th, aged 45 years. A service of thanksgiving for his life will be held at St Michael's Church, Salwarp on Friday, January the 26th at 12 noon. Julia Burton, née Bright, passed away peacefully after a short illness on January the 8th, aged 98 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 23rd at 10am. Roy Gilmore passed away peacefully on December the 29th, aged 79 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday 26th of January at 1pm. John Percy Kimberley at Malvern on December the 22nd. The funeral service will take place at the Great Malvern Priory on Wednesday, January the 24th at 12.15pm, followed by interment at Great Malvern Cemetery. John Smallcombe, Hayden Terence John, passed away peacefully at home on January the 8th, aged 88 years. A private cremation will be followed by a service of remembrance and thanksgiving at St John Baptist Church, Clains, on Wednesday, January the 24th at 2pm. And now for thought, of the de- thought for the day, which comes this week from Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And now birthdays for the coming week. We have on the 20th of January, Valerie Daniel. On the 23rd, Mary Lazenbury. And on the 23rd also, Dorothy Toy. Everyone here wishes you a lovely time on your special day. Thank you. Um, I would like to leave you with a final thought. I am currently 39 weeks pregnant. So the next time this um, lovely group of ladies will meet and um, the lovely engineer Barry and um, um, will meet, um, unfortunately I won't be here because I may have a, <laughs> I, hope so. I, I may have a baby by then or I will still be waiting by a day for the baby to come. So fortunately I won't be um, reading at the next one but I will... The following one. I think we should have a competition for guess the right name that well, Charlotte's guess, going to choose. Guess, guess the right name or guess guess the date. Oh, <laughs> guess the date. Yes. Yes. So um, I would like to thank um, tonight's reading and production team for an excellent um, job, and also um, say goodbye from Barry, our recording engineer, and our team members. So it's goodbye from me, Charlotte. And goodbye, but oh, really, have got a problem. <laughs> goodbye from Pippa. And goodbye from me, Catherine. And goodbye from me, Evelyn. Thank you.